0: Hello and welcome to The Mock Review with Ben and Drew. I'm Ben Garmo.
1: And I'm Drew Evans.
0: Now that we've gotten to the summer, there's a lot of exciting things going on. We just had Trial by Combat a little while ago. Congratulations to uh, Audrey Shepard of UCLA for winning Trial by Combat. We're very much hoping to get a chance to chat with Audrey before too long. But the next event on the AMTA calendar is the AMTA board meeting. Uh, and we love to cover the AMTA board meeting every year for the approximately 15 of you who download that episode each year. We know that <laughs> the 15 of you who do are deeply passionate about it. Um, I will be in Denver this year for the AMTA board meeting. I'm really looking forward to being a part of that conversation. Of course, a huge part of that conversation is what next season is going to look like. Is it going to be virtual? Is it going to be in person? Is it going to be some mixture of the two? There's a lot of questions about that, and if you look at the... Uh, the agenda for the upcoming board meeting, that really seems to be the major topic of discussion. There's a few smaller uh, proposals, but really the big one is what this season is going to look like. So we've got two, uh, really three guests from two different programs on the show today to talk about that topic. You're first going to hear a conversation with um, two individuals from the University of South Carolina, Aiken, which is a smaller, newer program program. Uh, from South Carolina. They're going to talk about their thoughts on this season uh, and and sort of how they feel AMTA should approach it. And then you're going to hear from an individual from the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. He's going to share his program's thoughts on this season and how he thinks AMTA should uh, provide some guidance on what the season is going to look like. So Drew, there's a lot of interesting things that are gonna, that are going to be happening at this board meeting. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to the conversations we're going to have today to kind of shed some light on how the community is feeling about those issues.
1: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to these two conversations. I mean, I think it's really interesting to me. I I think that when we first started out doing the podcast, you and I talked a ton about wanting to highlight voices that don't always get highlighted or talked about. And uh, you know, when we started, I mean, you were a coach, I was a competitor. Um, from a student run program, and and we really wanted to kind of get a wide array of voices. And I think I'll own that. I think recently we have really been, just because it's what's going on, you know, we're talking about teams that win and teams that are doing well and individuals that are going to trial by combat, and that tends to focus and highlight um, kind of just the top couple percentage points of this organization. And I love, and I am so excited to be talking to um, and highlighting voices that are not necessarily a part of that, and that are much more representative of the rest of this community. So I, 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 think it's just really exciting, and I'm glad that they chose to to speak with us, um, and and you know highlight those voices. But I do think that this issue is just such an interesting one, and I think it's it's honestly tough to decide whether, you know, what AMTA should do right now. I'm glad that I don't have the unilateral power to make that decision. But I think one thing that I I both expect um, most people to to agree with, hopefully, is that what so many of us are looking for right now is some form of guidance, some idea of what is going to happen. And I'm really optimistic that at this board meeting, it will get um, finalized and determined because a lot of people need to know. And I, I just, I hope that AMTA is is willing to make those types of decisions the same way to a certain extent as they did last year.
0: Well, I'll say, first of all, that I also share uh, in your belief that I'm glad that you are not the person making that uh, unilateral <laughs> decision. Um, but no, I, I actually, I'm sure you would do a great job with that. Oh, but so. <laughs> all things aside, I think what you're saying is spot on. Look, I, I want to be clear that nobody um, is saying to the AMTA board, predict the future. Right. Like you can't we don't know what things are going to look like several months from now. We hope that they're going to look the way they do now or, or significantly better than than they do now, where where at least in the United States, you know, COVID cases are very minor, uh, you know, and, and we've managed to essentially eliminate it as much as possible. We don't know that. Um, and so I am not expecting the AMTA board to suddenly be able to predict that. But I think uh what this conversation is going to reveal throughout this episode and just the broader conversation in amta is that amta needs to say something about okay this is our plan and here are the circumstances under which we will modify that plan and here is how we're thinking through the notion of teams who maybe wouldn't be able to compete if we stick to the plan that we're you know that we're announcing here today um is that difficult absolutely absolutely but like if you don't want to take on those types of difficult problems cool don't don't you join the board you know like that that's that's your job that's what you're there to do i understand they're volunteers but they volunteered to help answer some of these questions and that's not an attack they've done a nice job over the last year year and a half of keeping their messaging consistent at the board meeting last year they made the announcement we're going virtual and everyone was able to say all right cool we know what this season's going to look like i know we don't have that sense of stability at this point this year and that's okay But I think it's really important that the board listens to the voices of the community and comes out of this meeting and says, okay, here's some information on what to expect this coming season.
1: Yeah, I, again, I really do agree with that. And something that, I don't know, I just find very interesting about this issue is the notion of this kind of future telling that is kind of required. Um, And and I think you're right, Ben, that we're not asking AMTA to to know exactly what's going to happen. But something is better than nothing. And I think that I would hope that most teams understand that if AMTA comes out and says, you know, we're going to be in person, um, I, I don't know if they are, but let's say they say that, right? Clearly, if there are new strains that come out that change the, the, uh, the environment and that change the way that we are dealing with this virus, obviously, or at least I hope, Amphet will then announce, okay, well, actually, we need to go back to virtual. This is no longer going to be viable. And I think that, I mean, Ben, I don't know how you feel about this, but I I think that we all need to be prepared for something to happen um this this fall and and winter season. I mean, I, I I'm not a a pandemic expert. I do not know a lot about the public health um situation beyond what is for the most part told on the news, but it feels to me like we've had a lot of these spikes in the past. And while it is great that a lot of us are getting vaccinated, it's not like we're at 100% of the population yet. And we're really not even that close to 100%. Um, and sure, there's the whole uh, herd immunity stuff. But I just, I think that whether it's a new strain, or just a, a new outbreak that occurs, it's likely that's going to happen somewhere at some point, And I think we all need to be kind of on our toes for no matter what happens, what Amta decides be ready um, to, to change and adapt to the new situation.
0: Yeah. Uh, So I, I think you're absolutely right. And look, I know people don't come to the mock review for their uh, political and viral analysis, but we should have a very blunt conversation (laughs) about this because the reality is in this country, while we've done a very, very good job of vaccinating the public, uh, at least so far, right, we have to confront the reality that we have an entire political party in the United States that is dedicated to living in a fictional reality. And as a result, as I think will be brought up in one of the conversations we have on this episode, there are people who are put in situations where while they and their particular team may be practicing all of the right practices, they all go get vaccinated, they're being safe, they're taking care of each other, Uh, they may be in a state where the state legislature has said, "Hey, you're not allowed to mandate masks. You're not allowed to mandate vaccines," which of course is just you know misinformation and lunacy. But those you know students and those professors can't change that fact, and they're put in that really difficult position. Or they're in a state where you know the state legislature and the the governors are are people who are spreading misinformation and lies about COVID, like uh, you know many Republican state legislatures are, um, and as a result. Vaccination numbers are way, way down in that particular state. In Maryland, where I am, you know, fortunately, we're not in that position and our numbers look really good right now. But, you know, things can change because of the circumstances in the United States. And so as someone who's in an East Coast state, a fairly, uh, you know, blue state, for lack of a better term, it's important for me to recognize and for the to board to recognize that things can change. And we need to be Mm -hmm. thinking about what we're going to do if that happens and how are we going to serve everyone not Mm -hmm. just the northeast schools who are in situations like umbc is or maybe haverford is um but everyone people who are Mm -hmm. in difficult situations through no fault of their own and if we don't consider those things then we are not the american mock trial association because we're ignoring parts of our Mm -hmm. population and i'm not saying to wrap this up i'm not saying that um this means that we have to be virtual next year. That's not what I'm advocating for. But this has to be a holistic conversation about making sure that everyone has equitable and fair access to this activity.
1: No, I think you're spot on, Ben. And I, I, look, I don't think that either of us are trying to make this political. Um, but if you're listening to this and thinking to yourself like, oh, those you know, liberal mock review folks, and what, what are they talking about? Like, look, like we want people to be safe. We want people to trust science and... If that's gotten political for you, then I'm truly sorry that you have gone down that path. Um, But I think you're right, Ben. I think that it's got to be something where we take into account all of our different programs. That's why we're trying to highlight these voices to show you that um, this program or that sorry, that this organization is widely expansive with groups that we may not always realize are a part of this organization um, and that aren't always the loudest voices in the room, um, but they are just as important. And it's important that Ampta recognize them. So I hope that this, this episode can be informative to many of you, um, to highlight those voices that aren't often highlighted. I hope that people enjoy listening to them. I know that I really have. Um, and I'll just close by saying that I hope that this is a lesson to everyone that if you have a opinion that you want AMTA or the community at large to know about. Stop writing them on mock trial confessions and send a letter to AMTA. Okay, D- do something. Write write something, and it, it, it sounds silly, but it will get read. I I act I know for a fact it will get read if you send it to to AMTA. They will read it. They will talk about it, and that is the best way to make sure that AMTA knows your voice and knows what your experience has been. Um and you know, there's only so much that Ben and I can do from this podcast, but I implore all of you, whether you are from a massive school, a small school, a coached program, a student run program, whether you came in last at regionals or won the national championship, your voice matters and you should make it heard.
0: Yeah, I I just wanna say one hundred percent, I could not agree with you more. Um, you know, sometimes we criticize the EMTA board on this podcast, but I know and am friends with many people on the board, and like I've said before, they care about this activity, and I genuinely believe that they care about uh the overall health and well-being of every single program in this activity. Uh, because if they didn't, then I'm not sure I would really want to do this podcast because you know what would there be to talk about, and so. I think if if you have thoughts on this topic, especially, you know, this episode coming out a couple days before the board meeting, so you've got a couple of days to chime in with your thoughts, you should do so. I am flying to Denver for the board meeting this year. And the reason is I, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be able to be in a position where I can do that. And I want to be able to be there. And I want to be able to be in the room, not even necessarily to chime in, you know, maybe I will once or twice, but just to listen and just to sort of take in this conversation. And the that conversation will be better and more informed and just more holistic and beneficial uh, and equitable if AMTA has heard from lots of programs um, and individuals about how they're feeling about this season. So I'm really excited to bring you all both of the conversations that we've uh, set up today with uh, two groups who I think will have some, some interesting perspective and, and different perspective from one another on how they think this uh, season should go. So we're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back with uh, Matt and Beth from the University of South Carolina, Aiken. Welcome back to The Mock Review. Our first guests today are Matt Thornburg and Beth Georgian of the University of South Carolina, Aiken. Uh, their undergraduate campus. We're thrilled to have Matt and Beth here today. Uh, The reason that we have them here today is to discuss a number of issues related to the 2021-2022 AMTA season, Uh, and as we'll explain in a moment, uh, Matt and Beth have some thoughts that they're going to be able to share with us about how the season and the decision to be virtual or online relates to their specific program and the circumstances that they're in. Uh, Matt is an Assistant Professor of History, Political Science, and Philosophy uh, at South Carolina Aiken, and Beth is the Chair of the Department of History, Political Science, and Philosophy uh, at South Carolina Aiken. Uh, So Matt, Beth, thank you both so much for coming on the show.
2: Thank you for having us.
0: It's our pleasure to have you. And before we jump into the issues related to next season, we want to have a chance for you to introduce yourselves and your program Uh, to the broader AMTA community and just, you know, get a chance to tell people about uh, USCA and and what you all do. So can you just give us a little bit of background on your program and and just talk a little bit about uh, how your program works uh, at South Carolina Aiken?
3: Sure. Well, USCA Aiken, I guess, first off, is a pretty new face in college mock trial. We're going into our third year now. And I think we're shaping up to be a very different program from a lot of other mock trial teams. Uh, USC Aiken, like you said, is an is a undergraduate school it, predominantly. It serves a large number of non-traditional students. It has a large first-generation population, um, a lot of underrepresented groups, and that's really who joins the mock trial team. Um, I, I think for next year, we have a team of nine um, that we're really excited about, and there's – correct me if I'm wrong, Beth, I think we have three moms on the team. We have a number of non-traditional students. We have a lot of diversity in pretty much any way you can, you can conceive of it. And I think that's one of our real strengths as a team. Um, So that's, that's kind of one piece of, of USC Aiken's program um, is, is the population we serve. Uh, But the other piece, which I know is not unique to us anymore is our resources are very limited, and you know, in a good year, um, as a mock trial team, we can stay overnight at regionals. You know, for that weekend, um, we might be able to do another weekend invitational in person. We'll do day scrimmages with nearby schools. We might have the team scrimmage itself, which can get weird and awkward. Um, and that's basically USC and mock trial. Um, you probably haven't heard of us. We don't get mentioned on mock trial confessions very much, which I think is okay um, <laughs> and that's what we're building from
1: well, I can certainly say that the amount to which you get talked about on mock trial confessions should not have any correlation to either how good you are or really anything other than there are too many people talking about you um, <laughs> i can we I think Ben and I can speak from personal experience You're but, right. uh, absolutely <laughs> but uh we're so glad to have you both on here and I think that uh, I'm really. Glad to get to hear from uh, the voice that you guys are presenting um, to us today. But it's our understanding that you guys reached out to AMTA um, with some thoughts about what is going to look, what it's going to look like next year as far as mock trial goes um, at AMTA. And so I was hoping if one of the two of you would be willing, uh, if you could just summarize for us what those thoughts are so we can kind of get, uh, get a sense of what the angle is that you guys are coming from on this issue of uh, how exactly we'll do mock trial in a post-COVID world.
2: Sure. So Matt and I have been talking a lot lately about, are we going to be virtual or in person, just like everybody else? And there are a couple of reasons why we'd really like to know. One of them is the public health situation, obviously. But the other is we're not certain whether our school will have the finances to compete in a, in a uh, in-person season. So when we found out that the board was meeting in July, we thought, well, let's write them a letter and tell them a little bit about our team. And maybe what makes our team a little bit different than perhaps some of the teams they're more familiar with, the teams that show up at nationals and whatnot. And so we sent them a letter um, expressing sort of who we are and how that affects our concerns about the possibility of face-to-face competition next year. You know, I'm,
1: I just wanted to say I, I'm so glad that you guys did that because, I mean, I think Ben and I talk about it all the time. There's this problem, in my opinion, a problem that the AMTA community has where a lot of younger, newer programs don't always know or feel comfortable reaching out to AMTA in any capacity. And that's that's really the only way AMTA can learn about you know, how a program like yours works or what your needs are, um, is reaching out. So I want to just thank you both for doing that and encourage others to to really do the same. I mean, there's no... There's no reason why people should hesitate to reach out to AMTA. and um, but, it, but it is an intimidating process. And so it's great to see that, um, that voices are being heard. So can you guys kind of go into now, like you, you reached out to them, explained who you guys are. What is the limitations for you guys um, that would happen if AMTA decided this is going to be a all in-person season?
2: Well, there's a couple of pieces to the problem for us. Um, we are in a state where the state legislature has banned us from requiring vaccines. We are currently a mask-optional campus, which effectively looks a lot like no masks. Um, and the vaccination rate in our local community is stalled at about 30 percent. So there's that issue. But there's also the issue of who we serve in terms of our students. About a third of our team are students of color. And we all know that those communities have been uh, disproportionately impacted by COVID-19 and have had traditionally less access to vaccines, although we hope that'll improve. Um, As Matt mentioned, we've got three moms. We were planning to travel with infants this season to make that possible for those women to compete. And I'm pretty frankly kind of concerned about having children who are too young to be vaccinated around potentially unvaccinated students, right? Um, So so that's a real concern for us. Um, But also there is the financial reality. As department chair, I can say that my 2020 budget was the size of my 2019 photocopy budget. I'll let that sink in for a second. Um, And while we have had an incredibly supportive Dean, uh, Dean Hollingsworth, I doubt you're listening, but if you are, thank you. Um, (laughs) We're never certain whether he's going to be able to support us either. And so part of the reason we were able to compete this past year was because the costs were so much, so much lower for us. Um, And really, we had some opportunities to do some things that we couldn't have done if we had been in a more traditional uh, season. So we reached out to make AMTA aware of those issues, but also because increasingly as we develop as coaches and figure out what we want our program to look like, we're actually really proud of the work we're doing and the students that we're serving as coaches. And we want to encourage um, AMTA to maybe think more broadly about the existence of teams like ours and some of these concerns that may outlast the pandemic. How do we accommodate, you know, parents of young children and And competition. What what can we do to support teams who don't have a lot of travel resources? So those were some of the thoughts I think we had as we were reaching out.
0: I want to follow up on on one specific thing you said because there's there's a lot in there that I think is just perspective that is really valuable. Candidly, for me to hear, as I'm not a member of the board, but just a member of the AMTA community, because there are things uh, related to serving uh, non traditional students that as you sort of alluded to, maybe aren't always part of the broader conversation. You specifically mentioned, though, this this notion that, you know, you all are in this position where uh, your state legislature and and your state government have made it so that your campus is not allowed to require vaccines. And I think that's different from a lot of other uh, teams around the country who are in states where either that's not an issue or like in Maryland, where we're the opposite position, where, where, you know, we our campus is requiring vaccines. So can you talk a little bit more about the position that that puts you all in, in terms of uh, not being able to do something like requiring vaccines or requiring masks if you're a mask optional campus, and how that relates to uh, your thoughts for this upcoming season?
3: Well, I think this is really, at least for me, the dark cloud over, over the fall semester is, um, and I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I don't. No, if i i, I don't want to anger the state legislature or anything but um you know th- this is all common knowledge they they tucked the a provision into their budget and yeah we are we are no longer able to make vaccination a condition for being on our campus um and that is really and, and also as, as beth said we are we are a mask optional to no mask campus depending on your perspective and um it's, it's, we are still kind of sussing out how we're going to approach that, both as educators, both, you know, just teaching my regular classes, but also as coaching the mock trial team and, and, and on all those things. And I think, I think the, what, what strikes me the most about this is, and what I think the AMTA community probably knows academically, but, but really, I think it should needs to sink in is, you know, there, just this patchwork of laws and policies and prohibitions across the country regarding COVID, vac- the COVID vaccine and what that implies. Um, like Beth said, we have, you know, about a 30% vaccination rate in Aiken County. That's, we, we have a, we're, we're a bit of an older county. It's kind of a, a summer colony and or winter colony and it's a lot of retirees. So that's probably much lower even for college age students. Um, But I think, I think it's important to remember, you know, no matter what your, the policy of your campus is, that we don't necessarily have a baseline level of safety that's being observed across the country on college campuses. Um, You know, I know our team and I'd like to imagine that, you know, everyone who does mock trial is intelligent and they're critical thinkers and they're going to get vaccinated and, 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 you know, I, but I think AMTA has some power to mandate a level of safety for its competitors that I'd really like to see. And I think, you know, obviously vaccines, being vaccinated or not, it's not a fail-safe either. You know, there are people who can't get the vaccine. Um, you know, like Beth said, we'll be traveling with with uh, with infants potentially. Um, but just being aware that this, this patchwork of laws creates – a, a real a real unevenness in, in, in what what teams are going to show up and their level of safety.
0: I uh, I ask this follow-up question to that, not to put you on the hot seat, but just because it was something I was interested in sort of thinking about anyways. Do you think AMTA should consider uh, looking into whether or not they're going to be able to mandate vaccines for their participants? Um, whether we're in-person or virtual, you know, AMTA is a nonprofit. Now, I don't know. Uh, I'm certainly not a legal expert in this area, so I don't know if um, they would be able to do that. But I mean, is it something that they should at least look into uh, in order to try to provide some level of uniformity, um, sort of the way you were referring to the the patchwork network of laws across the country uh, to provide at least some sense of uh, safety for competitors if it's in person?
2: So I'm going to speak just for myself, but I think they absolutely should Mandate vaccination if they possibly can. It would be a great tool for those of us in tricky situations, um, and it would make competition safer.
3: I, I agree, um, and I, I, I think I think that it it does provide some some baseline level of safety that, that that we really we really need for these competitions.
2: I'll also add to that: even if the season is virtual, if it were required, it would make. Um, It would make teaching the classes and coaching the team safer at schools like ours, even if it's not a matter of of exposing people during competition directly.
1: So while you guys have both been talking, something that's kind of uh, been occurring to me is the advantages that were gained that you guys had um, to the online format, whether it's the cost or, um, you know, the, the ease of transportation Um, that all these factors really benefited your program. I think that oftentimes, um, whether it's on our podcast or just in general, people focus on the negatives of online mock trial and and what it didn't allow people to do. Um, So just as almost a global question, do you guys think, like, if you could wave a wand right now and make it so that mock trial, regardless of, you know, the state of the world, regardless of, you know, COVID or not... um, if mock trial could be virtual for you guys, do you think that would benefit you guys more than the in-person option um, of mock trial?
3: I think first, first off I'll, I'll say the requisite. Nobody likes being on zoom for 20 hours, you know, mm-hmm. over a weekend and, and, and all the, all the problems that, 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 you know, that, that have been exhaustively you know, discussed with, with online competition. So I'll, I'll, get that out of the way. we, we, we you know, our our first season in person, you know, was was was, was night and day to, to last year. But but I, I do agree with you. Um, I think I think there's you know Beth laid out kind of the two interrelated issues here. Um, and and I think online competitions impose a lower financial cost than on, on schools like us. Um and and I, I can say with some confidence and I know I know, Beth, knowing the budget, will probably be able to back me up here. I, I'm pretty sure that going online last year saved our season and probably saved our program at, at, at USC Aiken. Um, I haven't done any exhaustive analysis, but I looked at our regionals from, from 2020, the, the February 2020 regionals that we competed in, and there were six schools that were public public schools that were not flagships. So, you know, public regionals, HBCUs, places like that, there were six schools that that competed at regionals with us, including USC Aiken. Last year, only two of them were were able to compete. So two-thirds of them um, were not able to compete last year. And, you know. That that's likely due to even even going online, you know things like budget cuts, all these problems that that that, that schools like us um, disproportionately face. Um, and I hope those teams come back and join us this this year. But I know I know that you know, and and I'll defer to Beth on on what our budget's going to look like next year. I think we're all we're all curious about that. But but it seems like we're it it does it does provide a real benefit to us and and i think it i think it would at least be useful to see some online competition options next year
2: so i think what we would love to see happen down the road would be probably some return to face-to-face competition for things like regionals but to have better more frequent options for online scrimmages and tournaments because we just can't afford to go to all of these these events. On the other hand, I think there are some benefits of having some travel to a team like ours. Our first year, we had a student who hadn't stayed in a hotel before. We had students who'd never seen snow before until we went to regionals. So to the extent that we can balance those two things, providing sort of opportunities, but also not driving schools like us out for financial reasons, I think that's a real asset.
0: So sort of my last question, related to uh looking at this upcoming season right is this conversation is centered around what amta should do um but of course amta competitions don't start until february of 2022 the the next several months the the really consequential decision relates to invitationals, and you all have both sort of mentioned invitationals at different points so i kind of have a two-part question to wrap us up which is um do you think that amta should attempt to have any influence on the invitational season, whether by putting conditions on the the intellectual property uh, of their case or, or however they'd want to do it. And are you concerned that um, a lot of the fall invites, which I'll be very transparent here, including mine, um, the, the Trump City Classic the, that UMBC hosts uh, have sort of said, we're hoping to be in person. Some have actually announced in person. Some have said tentatively in person. Um, does that concern you all in terms of access to competitions uh, this fall if, you know, the majority of fall invites uh, a return to uh, an in-person format?
3: I don't necessarily think it concerns me if the majority return to an in-person format. Um, I think, I think what would be useful would be a pluralism, um, a, a, a variety, some online competitions, um some in-person competitions like i said earlier with our program we're really only able to go to one in-person invitational a year usually and that's that's you know in a good year um, I, I i think i think for us it's an issue of equity i think it's an issue of, of of being able to level the playing field a little bit so schools like us can you know get a, get a get, a, get a, a an opportunity to compete And you know, of course, the beautiful thing with online competitions is even you know, if it's in California or or elsewhere, um, you don't you have that opportunity to compete and 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 to do so. Um, So I'm not really bothered necessarily by in-person competitions, even being the majority. But I, I think that there is, I think there is a a a place for online competitions still as we're continuing to navigate this, this pandemic.
2: And stepping away from the finances for a moment, it's also just a lot easier for some of our non-traditional students to be able to compete from home for some of the season.
1: You know, it's interesting. I think uh, both of you mentioned it, you know, that it's good to have some in-person tournaments and some virtual. And I think Beth, at one point you actually said that your hope is that regionals is in person. Um, What this has almost brought up for me Is like I feel like it could be maybe really cool to if Anthem makes an option and it you know doesn't need to be geographically constrained of just if you would like to opt for a virtual regionals um that you can do that and and make that almost a permanent option that we have um I don't love the idea of it being separate from the rest as far as going if you know teams that that place and if they want to move on to orcs and whatnot um. I do sort of think that, you know, at some point we have to consolidate back for for nationals of some sort. But I just I wonder if there is some way to do that um, to address a lot of the concerns that you're both mentioning, because I think that, you know, the way that I look at this is that this really isn't a COVID specific problem. It's more a problem that COVID has shined a light on and and made us more aware of. But I feel like a lot of what you're saying um, is really just going to always be apparent and we really are never going to get that same equity. And I mean, even the fact that all four of our programs um, are for the most part on the East coast are around a fair number of other teams. um, It's pretty doable to, to drive to other invitationals or regionals. You know, this isn't even taking into account some of the West coast teams that if they want to go to a, a invite, they've got to fly there or drive 12 plus hours Um, And I'm just, this is more and more that we're talking about this. It occurs to me maybe um, doing an online option permanently would be a good solution. And I don't know what you guys think about that.
2: So I think for this year, regionals face-to-face is really problematic for a lot of reasons. But going forward, I think an online option for regionals would be great. Because even if our team goes back to having more funding, there, there are going to be teams who don't, or maybe mm-hmm. would even be willing to start a team if they knew that that was an option.
3: Yeah, I would add, we, we competed in AMTA's online, I think it was called the online exhibition last fall, um, the, the AMTA-sanctioned online tournament. And and, and I appreciated that, that there was a real effort there to make this something that was open to teams that were... Um, maybe a little bit newer, maybe still getting established and finding their feet. And and I, I would certainly welcome any any other efforts like that on Ampta's part.
0: Well, I really appreciate uh, Matt and Beth, both of you coming on the show. I think, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, you all have a perspective that is uh, unique and important. Uh, and I personally felt like I learned something from listening to both of you talk about uh, what you do as coaches and, and how you... Uh, work with your students in in a very different way than how i you know work with mine in in a different setting so uh drew and i are both really grateful to you all for uh coming on the show and sharing your thoughts so thank you so much for doing this we really appreciate it uh for everyone listening drew and i are going to take a quick break and we will be right back
1: Welcome back to the mock review. We're so pleased to be joined by Brett Berry of University of Tennessee, Knoxville. Brett is their vice president of external affairs. And Brett, we're so glad to have you on the podcast with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, Brett, I, I want to start by just understanding um, both Tennessee's uh, structure as a program and also your role as the vice president of external affairs there. So, could you just give us a little bit of background about Tennessee? How are you guys run? and then what your role is in that leadership.
4: Of course. So with Tennessee Mock Trial, we are a student-run and student-coached organization. Uh, That basically means all the decisions are made by our executive board, you know, we're elected by our students, and we have a faculty advisor just for, you know, purposes of making sure we're all good with the university. Um, So every spring, our members elect an executive board. We have a president. We have a vice president of internal affairs, external affairs, vice president of financial affairs and administration. Um, so we all have, you know, our respective roles. And I really manage, you know, our social media, our presence with other organizations, our presence with the university um, and presence within the AMTA community.
1: Awesome. Well, speaking of the AMTA community, um, It's our understanding that you recently, on on the behalf of the University of Tennessee team, um, reached out to AMTA with some thoughts on this upcoming season, um, the 2021-2022 season, and how exactly it's going to be run. So I want to just give you a chance now. Could you just kind of break down for us what are your thoughts on how this next year is going to work, um, and what exactly did you uh, say to them?
4: Yeah, so our mock trial organization – you know, we've been aware of a lot of discussion within the community, um, on social media, and, you know, just amongst our members. Um, so we thought we should send a statement to the AMTA board, just letting them know, you know, the perspective of a student-run organization. You know, we were a little bit concerned about the possibility of having a another year of virtual competition, just because, you know, student-run teams really rely on that hands-on experience, you know, having our members go-to competitions, invitationals and regionals, and we kind of, you know, watch those rounds so they can learn for, you know, the following year. So, you know, we've already done one year virtual competition. It was, you know, a great year. We were really excited about the prospects of trying out new things, but we're really, you know, wanting to get back into that in-person experience that we're used to. And we're a little concerned about doing a second year just because, you know, The year after, hopefully, we would be back to in-person competitions. You know, most of our team, most of that kind of knowledge base would have already left our organization, and we would only have, you know, two or three members left to teach everyone about in-person mock trial. So we decided to send a statement basically highlighting, you know, three main things, just the fact that going to another year virtual competition would disadvantage some of these student-run teams. And we also wanted to, you know, Let the AMTA board, you know, kind of take note that there have been changes with the public health situation. Many universities, including our own, um, have followed suit. Like the University of Tennessee at Knoxville has decided that this fall semester is basically going to be fully in person. Um, So we kind of had some concern about having most of the clubs at our university be in person with just mock trial being online it would be hard for us to recruit members and to really give them the experience, you know, that they're looking for um, to get involved. So we decided to, you know, really just express our views as a student run organization and just kind of, you know, respectfully let AMTA know our views about this.
0: You know, Brett, I have a question about that. But but first, I want to say, I think it's fantastic that you all decided to reach out to AMTA, particularly as a, a student run organization. Drew and I talk about this a lot on the show that uh, we really encourage people to communicate with the AMTA board and, and the folks who are on that board because they're they're good, hardworking people who want the best for the community. And so I think it's really valuable that you all decided to do that. Um, One of the things you focused on in that answer had a lot to do with you being a student-run program, that because you all, like you said, are student-run, student-coached, student-based leadership, you have sort of that institutional knowledge that maybe doesn't get uh, anchored in a coach, which is, you know, completely different, for example, from how UMBC does things. So can you talk a little bit more about what you see are the challenges where if we were to be completely virtual again this year, uh, you know, and then, you know, in person again and say 2023, the challenges of, uh, losing a lot of those institutional, uh, knowledge or losing a lot of that institutional knowledge, and then sort of having to rebuild it with a, a new crop of students.
4: Yeah, exactly. So the last time, you know, anyone from our organization has competed in person was regionals in Jackson, Mississippi in 2020. Um, So this past year, you know, with virtual competition, we had three of our eight members who competed in Jackson return. So next year we would have zero members returning. Um, And that was the team that qualified to go to Orcs in Memphis. So our big concern was, you know, There could be a chance that no one who was on that team that, you know, was successful and had the knowledge to qualify for orcs would be around to teach our members and we would be starting from scratch. Um, You know, I was able to go as a freshman, so I'll be an upcoming junior this year. So it would be my senior year that I would go back in person. Um, And it was a little scary to think that I could be teaching, you know, new members about in-person mock trial when it had been potentially two years since I had, you know, been in a courtroom in person. Um, You know, as a student-run organization, we do pass things down every year, and some things just get lost. Um, That's something that always happens. But we're trying to be resilient, you know, every semester and every season to try and combat some of those losses. Uh, But two years of not doing in-person mock trial was something that we really didn't know how we would overcome to still be on equal footing with these teams that do have some institutional support and some coaching
0: you know it's it's really interesting um with you saying that because i think that there's there's a sort of an interesting subtext to that with this notion of student run programs and how you all pass down knowledge from you know one group to the next that that's a huge part of how you all do things but uh and let me try to think about the best way to phrase this because i don't want to sound like i'm trying to attack that premise but the best way i can think about saying this is do you feel like that challenge, that hurdle is, you know, really enough where we should say as a community, okay, we're going to be back in person, even though there are some remaining concerns related to uh, variants or schools who may be in, you know, low vaccine communities or, you know, things of that nature where, uh, you know, that reasoning that you were just describing should sort of overcome some of the concerns of, Uh, other places about what this, you know, next season is going to look like.
4: Yeah. So, I mean, we will acknowledge there are concerns with this upcoming year with COVID. Um, You know, some of our members, you know, can are still a little bit wary of coming back to in-person classes and in-person competition. And we know AMTA has, you know, a hard decision to come up to, you know, it's not going to be easy, but we believe it's something that AMTA should at least consider. And we believe they should strongly consider it. Because there will be, you know, some ramifications from this decision. And if, you know, they decide to be virtual for another year, you know, our student-run organization is going to have an uphill battle going forward. Um, So we believe it's something that AMTA should strongly consider. And, you know, we're hoping that maybe we can find a middle ground. Maybe AMTA can have some mitigation procedures, you know, still require masks, you know, maybe requiring vaccines. We don't know what exactly AMTA is thinking, uh, but we'd really like to see some type of in person competition, you know, come back, even if it's not the
1: same as it was, uh, you know, previously, we would like to see it return. So Brett, it's so funny when you were talking about um, being uh, potentially a senior next year, having to teach the new crop of students and, and the stresses around that, um, that really spoke to me because as someone that was also part of a student-run program who was in that position of being, um, you know, Kind of the the senior leader who had gone to nationals and was expected to teach others. I totally identify with that that fear and that um, nervousness around, oh my gosh, how do I possibly teach this to other people? So I, I want to start by just totally validating and echoing that that I totally hear that. Um, but I, I was interested uh, the, the notion of that there's something different about in- person versus virtual. I think that we can all agree. That there absolutely are differences between them, but what do you see as the the important teachable aspects of in-person mock trial that are lost when someone does virtual mock trial? Um, and, and what I'm looking for with this is kind of I, I truly don't know whether there is or what the answer would be of just obviously you know you're you're on a screen versus being in person and moving around, but beyond just saying, oh, you should move around and and attempt to have presence. What is the institutional knowledge that you're looking to pass down that you feel like you learned as a freshman or as a first year that you feel like other people are not getting because of this virtual format?
4: Yeah. So you mentioned presence, which is a big thing in our organization. We always stress, you know, once you walk into that courtroom for the next, you know, two, three hours, your presence matters. Even you know if you're not giving an examination, even if you're just in that break between cases in chief, your presence still matters. Um, and that's something that's just kind of one of those finer things that you learn by observing and just by experiencing it. And it's hard to kind of put in words to our members of, you know, hey, you need to be on your good, best behavior because we, we see it's a little bit different. Um, but I think another thing is the it's different with virtual competition versus in person is the kind of being on point cuz on virtual competition once your examination is done you can mute your mic and mute your camera and you're kind of done until you know you have a cross or if you're doing a closing or maybe that's it for the round but in person you're kind of expected to be present and attentive those 3 hours so even if you're not you know you've done your examinations and you did the opening statement you know, you really can't just go to sleep at council table, and that's something that's a little hard for us, you know, going from in person to virtual to stress to our members. Um, beyond that, it's just kind of placement in the courtroom, how to tone, you know, how to interact with the witness, you know, how to approach and hand documents. There are so many little things that, while they might not seem the most important, to justify another, you know, virtual versus in person. We think they would be lost by having it just virtual this year and would put us at a little bit of a disadvantage.
0: A few moments ago, you mentioned sort of this notion of a a middle ground where we should at least, um, you know, we should be considering uh, teams who are in difficult positions, but we should also be striving to kind of return to some semblance of normal. And of course, a big part of that has to do with the fall season because, you know, of course, AMTA tournaments don't start until, uh, you know, 2022, until February of 2022. But we've got invitationals scheduled for just a couple weeks into October. So how do you see the invitational season fitting into this? And do you feel like as a student-run program, who presumably takes a lot of cues from AMTA about what this season is going to look like, that AMTA should provide any guidance or any rules to uh, invitationals on how they should approach the uh, fall
4: season this year? Of course. So our position as an organization is that whatever AMTA decides it's going to do for the you know the 2022 competition season would be what we want to do for invitational. So if they decide it's going to be virtual, we would probably pursue virtual competitions just so we're prepared for this upcoming season. Now, with AMTA competitions not really starting until the spring, we're hoping that you know they will release some guidance or at least a decision on modality. That's kind of our bare you know expectation and hope is they'll say, hey, we're committed, you know, unless something drastic happens to in-person or virtual. We also hope that if AMTA is going to require some form of, you know, mitigation protocol like masking or distancing or maybe limiting, you know, how many people are in the room, we hope they'll go ahead and release that ahead of time just so teams can go ahead and practice with those procedures. You know, if we're going to have to give an opening statement with the mask, That's fine. We just want to know for the fall season so we can, you know, at our practices, we can, you know, be wearing masks. And when we go to invitationals, we can replicate, you know, some of those things that are going to be in the environment when we're competing. Um, In regards to some teams that might be a little wary of competing in person, my hope is that maybe some invitationals will have a hybrid option. Maybe they'll have four or six teams that compete virtually and the rest compete in person. Um, we really don't know, but our organization is probably going to follow the cues from AMTA. So we are hoping to get some guidance pretty soon so we can start making some plans for the fall.
1: So I just wanted to say, Brett, uh, I won't name this program, but I want to say that I think that there are a lot of programs, particularly that are student run, that are probably going to agree with you. Um, and a lot of what you've been saying, um, I know there's one program where I remember I used, I, I was talking to them and they mentioned how they like to go to to tournaments that are far away, specifically tournaments where they have to drive and stay overnight at. Um, And they mentioned that it's part of the bonding process for them, but also that if it's too close to home or if it's too easy to get to, that a lot of their members that either aren't committed enough or they'll just get distracted by other things. So I definitely think that there are a lot of people that for one reason or another would totally agree with you that um, it's important for them to go back in person. I guess that my my closing thought is, if there is a, you know, a subset of programs, and I'm just pulling numbers, you know, Adam, whatever, but of the 700 some teams that, you know, tend to compete in AMTA organizational tournaments, whatever, uh, let's say 100 of them said, there is no way either our schools won't let us, or our states won't allow us or whatever might be to compete in person. Um, if that were to happen, do you think like, and, and look, we're asking you to, to make a, a, a comment on something that, you know, obviously is for Amta to decide, not you, but what would you expect Amta to, to do? And what would you want to see from them? If a, a very substantial subset of teams would not be allowed to compete if it were, uh, if it were in person.
4: Yeah. So I think that's an interesting, you know, kind of thought to, to think on, um, I hope that maybe AMTA could do some type of, you know, maybe virtual regional for those teams. And if you know there are yeah. maybe, say, 100, mm-hmm. some type of virtual orcs for those mm-hmm. teams. Now, when it gets to nationals, that would be a little more tricky. Um, I will leave that to, you know, <laughs> the wisdom of the AMTA board of directors. Um, but I do hope AMTA could be accommodating. You know, I was just, you know, I just saw that AMTA is still going to have OLT come back this summer, and that's something I'm excited about. You know, many of the seniors that were on in our program, you know, they competed virtually, and now they're going to have a chance to compete, you know, virtually again this summer, and they're also looking forward to that. Um, I really just hope that AMTA can be accommodating to all of the programs, and I know that might be, you know, too wishful of me, um, but I, I really think AMTA could probably find a middle ground between you know teams that want to get back to in-person competition and those teams that you know may not be able to compete, you know, due to one reason or the other. Um, and hopefully can find something where we can all still do this activity we so enjoy.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I mean, I think that that's, it is an important thing that we're kind of taking into account as many possible voices as we can, um, and trying to, as you said, accommodate, you know, whether it's student run uh, programs, whether it's programs from, you know, disadvantaged backgrounds, or or from states that are not going to allow them to compete based on the format, um or the the biggest of our programs, and I think that you're you're totally you're hitting the nail on the head for me. Um, that we got to find a way to accommodate as many people as possible and and do what we can. And, and I think that that's really what this issue comes down to for me.
0: Yeah, I I agree with that, Drew, and I agree with what you were saying there, Brad. And I think to wrap us up, the the sort of the prevailing thought is is irrespective of which way we're going to go, seems like there's a lot of appetite out there for guidance. Um. Mm-hmm. Even if it's temporary guidance, even if it's, hey, this is our current guidance and situations can change, uh, teams are really looking for some input from our governing body on how the season's going to look and some definitive statements on uh, what to expect. Because what you were saying about uh, fall invitationals and how you're going to take your cues from what Amta says, I mean, that makes perfect sense. And that's why they issued the decision they did last summer at the board meeting. So uh, to wrap us up, I think it's going to be very interesting to see what this year's board meeting uh, looks like and and how this discussion goes and what comes out of it as a result of that discussion. We, of course, Drew and I will be here to cover that when it happens. Uh, thank you so much, Brett, for coming on the podcast. We really appreciate you sharing your thoughts on behalf of the University of Tennessee and your mock trial program. Thank you, everyone, for listening. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Until next time, this has been The Mock Review with Ben and Drew.